Hello, everybody. We're Finance Miami. Today, I'm here with co-founder Elijah Massenberg and special guest Anthony. Um, to start off, you're big in crypto, right? So you've probably been asked this question many times, but like, what is a cryptocurrency in your own words? Um, well, there isn't just one kind, so they're not all the same, but uh, blockchain technology is essentially the thing that you want to learn about if you want to see what a cryptocurrency is. Um, Bitcoin, for instance, is the king, right? So that was yeah. the, the beginning of it. Uh, when the recession happened in 2008, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, I think that's how you say his name, yeah. started the, whoever that is, started building out Bitcoin um, for decentralized finance. And that's what this whole thing is about. Everything with crypto, Web3, and blockchain. Um, but then like something like Ethereum is, mm -hmm. uh, it's essentially like the new internet. So Bitcoin is like digital gold. It's like gold that you can email to anyone yeah. in the world and there's no government or banker that's overseeing it. Right. Yeah. And then you have something like Ethereum where it's essentially the, uh, the new stock exchange, if you will, or the new internet. So things trade on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's uh, native currency is ETH and then it's tokens are ERC 20. So, you know, it's, it's not as cut and dry as just like, this is cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, but for people that want to learn about it to begin with, you should really probably start with Bitcoin and how that started. And, and that is kind of just um, money that you could email anywhere in the world at any time and no one has any ability to regulate it. There's 21 million of them. There will never be more. If civilization moves to Mars, there's still only 21 million Bitcoin. So it is an ideal world reserve currency. And that's what you know Bitcoin maximalists believe is going to happen is that all the fiat currencies, US dollars, euros will yeah. eventually lose any realistic value. And that this deflationary currency, Bitcoin, will be the international store of value for human beings. Right. Is, is, is like crypto traded differently than stocks? Well, the stock, so there's multiple stock markets around the world, but you know, the New York Stock Exchange is open Monday through Friday, 9.30 to 4. So crypto is 24 seven, it never, never sleeps, it never stops. Um, so in that regard, it's a little different. Uh, now people who trade stocks, they could be trading the Chinese markets and Euro markets and New York markets. So in a sense, there's constant movement with stocks as well, but um, you know, crypto is definitely different in that it's just constant. It is mostly unregulated, um, which there will probably be regulations in place, like that's kind of being built out now, and that will usher in a time when institutions can feel comfortable putting more money right. in. So uh, BlackRock is the biggest asset manager on earth. Yeah. They just partnered with Coinbase and they just announced a private Bitcoin fund. So that's kind of a domino and then, you know, other institutions because okay, BlackRock is now comfortable doing this. So then the government will probably follow with some rules and regulations, um, or I should say the governments, because it's not just going right. to be one. But um, yeah, it's it's different in it's it's in its infancy. So mm -hmm. it's different in the sense that it's not mature yet, and a lot of the volatility that exists is because of that. And that's how I make a lot of money is based right. on the volatility. And how did you get into crypto? Um, so my business partner, he initially bought Bitcoin in 2014. Oh, so he's, yeah. a, he's a Bitcoin millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, two hedge funds. One is private equity shares of late stage private tech companies like SpaceX. 
and major cryptos and then a more um, aggressively traded micro cap crypto fund. But he was my roommate in Los Angeles. We lived in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, we coached a football team, yeah. uh, Harvard Westlake in Los Angeles. That's how we became yeah. friends. And um, so he had kind of taught me a little bit about it. And then my cousin, who's probably my first friend in the world, uh, he'd, he'd been telling me, I don't know, maybe six years ago on Easter, he was telling me about how he was learning about it and he went all in and he also became a, a crypto millionaire last year. So the two of them kind of pushed me in and I had a background in finance and a background in tech. So it was, right. you know, just mm-hmm. kind of a development of that. Mm. Okay. So, like what, which cryptocurrencies do you look at the most, would you say? Well, that's a, that's kind of tough to say. So Bitcoin and Ethereum are the most important. Yeah. And the market goes to some degree as Bitcoin and Ethereum like, go. So I, yeah, I use those to tell me what's going to happen with the alts and the yeah. meme coins and the right. you know coins all the way down the list. And on top of that, geopolitical factors, you know, things like the government of China or the government of Russia or the government of the United States, things that happen in the news as it pertains to finance, as it pertains to oil, as it pertains to war, all of those things kind of aggregate into how the markets are going to move. Mm-hmm. So there's probably 20 to 30 coins that I've been watching the patterns for a couple of years mm-hmm. and that's how I kind of know what's going to happen, right. but it's all of the external factors putting pressure on that's going to dictate the movements. Okay, and so another side to crypto is mining. Do you know have any knowledge of that or partake in it? We don't partake in it. We we talked a little bit about it. Um, there are other firms in Miami that you know do similar yeah. stuff to us that are more focused on mining. Um, you know, there ninety one percent of the Bitcoin have been mined at this point. Yeah. So and then I think the rest. Some people say I think in one hundred and forty years. The last of it will be mined, and then some people say that the algorithm will get so difficult that the last coin will never be mined. It'll be like an infinite, like yeah, it'll it'll be like an asymptote where it yeah. just keeps getting um, you know more difficult. And it's important to understand all that. I don't see mining as something that's necessary for us with, yeah. with what we do. You know, we we bring in investment dollars and we position those dollars in the best possible places where we're pretty confident that in about two to three years time, there's going to be, you know, a pretty extreme upside. Mm-hmm. Um, we try not to make it more difficult than it is. We've avoided all of these crashes and hacks, thank- thankfully. Yeah. That's been kind of one of our claims to fame with our clients is they're like, geez, you know, we're down significantly from the end of last year. But at the same time, all of these bankruptcies and scams and hacks and uh, the stable coin failure, mm-hmm. we were smart enough to avoid those things. Yeah. So um, in, in regard to mining, I, I know how it's done. I don't, I'm not against it, but it's not something that we're doing. Okay. And so back to the crash, if it did affect your business, how did you guys work around it? Well, crypto has operated on a four-year cycle since the beginning. So you could right. say that this is the fourth four-year cycle. So there's it's, been a- It booms a, and busts. Yeah, there's yeah. been an all-time high every fourth year and then an aggressive Drop. move down of 80 to 90%. So we actually expected it. We were telling everyone at the end of last year, you know, based on the Fed tightening, stocks were going to crash. Crypto was going to crash alongside with it. Um, Real estate would crash afterwards, which is actually just starting now. So it would be a full year of pretty ugly numbers. Yeah. Um, So it affected us. I mean, we had people that we were talking to about 
you know, multi-million dollar investments and then all of a sudden stuff falls off a cliff and it's like, let's think about this for a little while. Let's move slower. Let's maybe deal with a smaller number. Let's wait until we feel like we're at a real bottom. So yeah, like, and I have really good friends that are stockbrokers in New York and I'm in communication with them because a lot of them have clients that want crypto exposure. Mm -hmm. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to send my book of business to you for crypto. And they're all dealing with the same stuff because the markets dumped hard and it was like a 10 or 12 year upward trajectory. So people weren't used to busts and recessions. So it's been ugly for everyone. There's no one. And now real estate, the rest of the year will be uh, an ugly situation, most likely. So everyone's kind of in a similar boat where they're getting a little bit more conservative and tightening up. And uh, that absolutely has limited people coming in with investment for us. And our clients have been a little bit worried about like, you know, how long does this stay down, etc. But we coach them up well in the front end. So they kind of know what to expect. Right. So moving on from your career, what type of access did you have to financial literacy growing up? Very little. Um, my mom was always a mortgage banker, but she didn't talk about work at home. So um, I graduated from Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. I played football there. I was an economics and business major at first, then I finished as a government and law major. Um, but I would say I had very little clue of the things that I know now were I went into, so it was, I finished in 09, the end of 09, was great recession. So I got a commission only sales job with New York Life. So it was, you know, insurance first and then investments. I figured out very quickly that the way to make money was to get as many financial licenses as possible and to work with business owners because they needed so many different products and they didn't have the knowledge. So that was kind of my uh, focus, but I had to like books like Kaplan financial books. Um, I read a lot about Warren Buffett. He, he kind of created a lot of the leverage buyouts and insider trading, like a lot of the stuff that he actually did in the beginning to make huge sums of money is like not even allowed now. Right. And he tells people, you know, just invest in index funds, but he's never done that in his life. Um, so I would say he's the guy that I studied the most, both in his early career and his later career and all the things that he said, because he was the kind of the most successful investor for a really long time. And there was a handful of other guys, there's probably five or 10 other guys that are huge, like Ray Dalio, and um, you know they're they're and they and they speak a lot, so you right. can like look them up. And yeah. uh, Rob, Robert Kiyosaki, he's all real estate, but he you know with the tax stuff that we were talking right. about, he's great. So there's five or ten guys out there that you could look up on YouTube or read their books that you know will give you tons of knowledge. But for me, it wasn't easy to find. Right. I was like digging and asking and mm -hmm. learning from older people who had worked in finance and um, reading a lot of books. Reading is, was my, I've probably averaged a good two or three hours every single day for well over a decade reading on finance or government and how I could learn all these things and then leverage them. Mm -hmm. So do you think having access to it at a younger age would have helped you a bit more in life? Oh yeah, e enormously. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like my mom was a mortgage banker until I was in my 20s working in finance. I didn't know really what a mortgage yeah, was. Right. Uh, I didn't know the differences with the different kinds of taxes. Like when you go to a 7-Eleven and you pay sales tax, that mm -hmm. goes to the state. If you own a home and you pay property tax, that goes to the city. If you get an income and you pay your income tax, that goes to the federal government. So, right. you know, these are things that I was completely clueless about and it wasn't easy to get this information. Yeah. Right, so like you would definitely say if you could start as early as possible, like when you're able to understand basic words, basic things, you just start, right? Yeah. 
for sure. And what was your first business and why did you create it? So the first time I actually established my own LLC was a, a cannabis company. <laughs> so that was my first where it was just totally mine and I yeah. went online and you went to LegalZoom or whatever and yeah. paid the fee yeah. and established the Delaware Corporation and named it and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, before that, I mean, because I was a commission-only broker, my book of business right in New York Life was kind of my first thing. Mm. And then I was an actual percentage owner of a, uh, a collection of farmers agencies after that. So I was... I didn't. I wasn't the person that completely started it and filed it, but I was one of a group of about ten people that started four farmers' offices in two states, um, and that was kind of that was the first time I had equity and ownership of like an LLC. And then my own thing was uh, a Rogue Palm was the name of the cannabis company, and I think I was a little late to the party with getting it going. Yeah. Um, so you know, we we didn't end up taking it anywhere, but it was a Amazing learning experience. <laughs> and I, what are some of the things you learned? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so I have family members that grow cannabis in Northern California, Denver, Maine. So I was traveling around the country and I was actually visiting. And like yeah. one of my cousins is like an engineer, mm -hmm. an environmental engineer. So he had like a really well built out farm. So there was like the boots on the ground aspect of starting a company. Cause like when you're a broker or an executive or a salesperson, you're doing, you're interacting with people and you're talking, you're teaching, but products are generally designed and they have to be designed and manufactured before right. they're sold. Yeah. So kind of the ground level stuff of like being there and really seeing mm -hmm. like, okay, how long does this take? What's our differentiator? Like, why is this product good? Why is it, what could go wrong? Um, and then I was in New York, so I was dealing with the finance people, the bankers out of Toronto and New York, and I was dealing with growers who were like, you know, you want to talk about people who are different, like uh, people who grow cannabis in the mountains of California and people who do investment <laughs> banking in New York. That's very different groups yeah. of people. Yeah. So you're putting together this big pie of, you know, people who do different jobs well, mm -hmm. and then you have to figure out what's in it for everybody, right? Like, because um, everybody is working for a profit. So it's like, you know, managing people's expectations, making sure everyone is motivated to do their piece because there's something right. in it for them. Um, yeah, it was like, I mean, I could, I could go on for days about this because it was about a year, it's about a half a year to a year of my life that was really dedicated to this and between the traveling and the learning and the different people and the things that went right and the things mm -hmm. that went wrong. Um, at the end game really was that the, the industry pivoted towards medical. It pivoted towards CBD and that stuff. And we were still on the like cool hip THC like type of thing. Yeah. Like we had a beautiful woman that was our spokeswoman. So she was going to be like the social media presence. Right. And so it was a brand as much it was, as it was a company. Um, so yeah, the, the learning was so, so much, but, um, in the end, like I, I, I was probably a year too late. Right. My seed investor who was a, a wealthy family from Germany backed out due to some health issue and I couldn't get like Goldman money once I didn't, I needed 5 million seed capital and then I can get a hundred million from a Goldman or right. somebody like that. Yeah. And that was the plan. And we were going to absorb all different grows and dispensaries and then try to take it to become mm. a publicly traded company. And I had everyone in place necessary. Mm. That's not easy. Like I yeah. really lined up, there might've been 30 or 40 different people involved in this whole thing. I had people for licensing. 
um, you know, lobbyists, you're dealing with government people, you're dealing with paying, you know, big yeah. fees on the front end. I had the property, like I had all the pieces, but once the seed investor got sick, decided it wasn't, you know, the right time, backed out, the industry pivoted, I couldn't get the big money once I didn't get the small right. money. Um, and I was devastated and depressed for <laughs> a while after that. As when you really, when you start your own yeah. thing and you put everything into yeah. it and it doesn't work out, oh my God, it guts you. But um, yeah, no, that's- stop you, right? And that's like the most important part, I think. Yeah. No, once, if you're an entrepreneur and you're somebody that's used to working for yourself or starting companies, it's kind of like an addiction. It's mm -hmm. like you, I, I've been in a few situations where I was kind of clocking in and working for a company for like a period of time, yeah. like software sales mm -hmm. I did mm -hmm. in um, Southern California. And I'm always a successful salesperson, but the, the idea of kind of being managed and being in that environment, it, it doesn't really appeal to me. And you can't grow a real net worth if you don't have a good equity stake. Mm -hmm. So it could be your own business or you get equity in, in some somebody else's, but as a just employee being paid a wage, it's not realistic that you're gonna, you know, build a real net worth that way. Yeah. So after the cannabis is when you got into crypto after? Or you worked a little or had any other businesses in between? So the career was about six years in, you know, greater New York finance, which was insurance and investments, New York Life, Farmers, and Voya Financial, mm -hmm. with the three stops, working with mostly business owners. Moved to Los Angeles because I really wanted to live somewhere warm. So yeah. it wasn't a anything else besides I wanted to live in a good weather place. I really always wanted to come here to South Florida because I grew up visiting here, but I had friends in LA, they were saying how great it was. So I went there, I, um, you know, California, it's kind of entertainment business and technology. Yeah, right. So I got into software sales. Silicon and, Valley and all that. Yeah, so I, I did two years for a FinTech that was similar to like my finance stuff. And then I got a Silicon Valley uh, tech like startup job where I was building out like the onboarding sales process for a restaurant software company. So that was just an interesting kind of excursion into like real Silicon Valley tech, right. totally out of the finance space. After that is when I was like, okay, I'm gonna try the entertainment stuff because people kept telling me, hey, try mm -hmm. acting. And I helped somebody create a production company. Like they didn't understand how to raise money and everything. So I learned through doing my thing, which was building a company with mm -hmm. a guy who made a bunch of movies for Netflix. And then I joined an acting class and the first scene I acted, I loved it. It was like playing football. I played football for 17 years. You know, I hadn't had anything that was that exciting. And then, boom, did the first scene and I was like, this is great. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go all in with the entertainment, but I also know I need like a professional pursuit. And I had my cousins that were growers. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll establish this big cannabis company. We'll swim for the fences. We'll try to make it a publicly traded entity and, you know, become billionaires. And I knew it was insanely ambitious from the get-go, but I knew enough people that actually do this, like yeah. in all the different yeah. parts, where realistically, if the stars aligned, it could have panned out. But um, so, the, and then from there, when COVID shut down all of the, I had a bunch of independent films booked, that was my catalyst for leaving California, coming to Florida. And then I got back to the private equity and crypto because my roommate, he decided to also come and my cousin was like teaching me how he trades like the aggressive stuff and I made a ton of money last year just like 
very quickly. Right. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm all in <laughs> here. And Miami's the base of this stuff. So right. Miami, DeFi, blockchain, crypto, you know, Dubai and Miami are probably on the earth. Those are the two major places for this stuff. So now that you're in crypto, what's your favorite part about your job and your least favorite or hardest part about your job? Okay, so favorite part, I guess, is I wake up excited about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of a, there's a gambling element to it, right? Yeah. So you're on edge a little bit. Um, it's winning and losing, right? You're like, you, you've, you've learned all this information, you're playing against everybody else. Yeah. You're playing against the institutional investors, the retail investors, um, the bulls, the bears, like it's, it's this big competition in a sense. So when you are right, when you do position dollars in the right place and, and you catch a big upward move and then you get out and then you get into something else at the bottom, you know, there's a rush and there's excitement behind it. Um, it feels like being on the ground floor of something really big because like there's no question that this technology is the next big thing and over the next few years there's going to be massive growth and money to be made. So yeah. just knowing, okay, I'm in place, I'm in the right location, I'm in the right business and like I'm ready, I'm, I'm here before this thing becomes yeah. big. That's pretty exciting. Um, talking to people about it is a tough kind of thing because right. There's not a lot of – well, there is education available, but there's not a lot of people that know what they're talking about when they <laughs> yeah. talk about it. Yeah. So there's such a learning curve with explaining what it is and why it's good and why we feel so strongly that it's gonna, that there's going to be upside. And, you know, there's, and then there's these massive downward moves that happen, which it's been a boom and bust cycle. So you have to stomach – the downward moves and now, now you have all the people saying I told you so and it's like alright we'll wait <laughs> yeah, two that. years and then we'll see who if it's I told yeah. you so or not so you know the, the the stomach you need for the volatility and the downward moves and teaching people about it and having them understand it enough to commit a lot of their capital um, you know that's kind of the challenges that there are and then there's all these because it's unregulated yeah. you have people like that's an Instagram celebrity and then all of a sudden they're pitching crypto or NFTs or something <laughs> and you know that they don't know what it is no. and you know that they're being paid by somebody to, to post something so you're, you're contending with a lot of messiness mm -hmm. and a lot of that's going to get cleaned up because the major institutions and the governments are leaning into it they yeah. have to right. it's like existential for them they have to understand blockchain technology and be involved because it's going to be so necessary not just for finance but the the smart contracts like right. you, you guys sent me a contract to uh sign off on this like that'll oh, yeah. be an nft soon right now yeah. that's a paper digital contract right. so um there's so much usability and it's exciting to be in the front end of something i can't think of a time when i felt like i was you know early in something that was going to be really big Right. So, so to finish it off, what advice would you give to any young young person trying to get into either finance, cryptocurrency, any of those industries? The information now is all out there. It's very available with YouTube and social media. Like, so if you take the time that you normally watch TV or mess around, like right. you know the extra time that you have yeah. every day, maybe it's thirty minutes or an hour or a couple hours. And if you dedicate that for a consistent period of time just to learning, like you can learn an extraordinary amount in just a couple months. 
So it's really just like, and I, I, I made these decisions in my life. It's like, do I want to play video games or watch TV shows or, you know, do certain things that pass the time, but don't really give me any value? Or do I want to read for a couple hours every day and get more knowledge and be able to leverage it and kind of build my intelligence as opposed to just escaping um, that just that little decision of I'm going to be somebody who learns about this and I'm going to spend 30 minutes or 60 minutes every day mm. reading or learning. And if you're interested in it, it ends up being easier because it's like, oh, I'm actually excited a bit about this. But I would say just the, the information now is available. So if you go online, it's there. You just have to dedicate some time to do it consistently. And then the other piece of it is I would get in the game, meaning even if you have 50 bucks or 20 bucks, you know, download an exchange, buy one or two currencies, even a tiny amount, just so that, because the patterns, like that's, I've watched the patterns for a couple of years of all these movements. So now it's like, it, it tells me something. I could read between the lines. Mm -hmm. So that experience of like actually being in the game with some skin in the game, you know, that maybe more than anything else makes you go, oh, I should read up about this because I got a little bit of money on the line and you know, one of these coins could go 100x. I could put 100 bucks in and get 100x yeah. and like that's not chump change. So that's what I would say is all you really have to do is make that switch in your head of I'm going to learn this. Maybe I'll take one hour a day for three months but I'm gonna learn this. I'm gonna put a few bucks in and I'm gonna read and I'm gonna watch videos and I'm gonna talk to people right. online who are in this and, um, and you know, you get that first big, you know, when, when I woke up the first time with a huge multiple on my money, <laughs> I was like, I was high. You know? yeah. I was like, this is insane yeah. that this is possible and I could figure this out. And then the, maybe the best thing was the second time because it was like the second time I kind of knew what I was doing. And I like had this huge win that I like felt like you earned it. Yeah, like, I like planned it out and I earned it, and it was big. Yeah, and I was like, "Geez, like you know, <laughs> you get that rush, and it's like, okay, there, there's something here." And then I'm making money for other people that I care about. Yeah, right. That's great too. People who don't know about this are right. able to say, "Hey, here's some money. You know, make something happen for me." And I'm able to grow their money based on the information and the knowledge that I'm accumulating. So, right. you know, that's. that's that's the exciting stuff. Awesome. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. It's Guys, that yeah, wraps up today's educational episode. Thank Anthony for coming. I am. Thank you. See you. All right.